0: Today's episode of the Shift with Shay is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Shift with Shay. I'm Shay Candish, the General Secretary of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association, and your host of this show. Today I'm joined by fellow nurse Sheree Bennett. Sheree's a clinical nurse specialist dealing in sexual health and HIV. She's also an academic at the University of Wollongong, a medical educator at the Australasian Society for HIV, viral hepatitis and sexual health medicine, and a program manager at the Kirby Institute. In pursuing her passion for sexual health nursing, both here in Australia and further abroad, Sheree has an impressive career to date. But it was not all that long ago that Sheree was a new grad, if you can even believe it. And she was considering throwing in the towel and quitting the profession altogether. Lucky for all of us, that didn't happen. But we'll go into that backstory a bit later. Uh, Sheree also is the medical educator at the Australasian Society for HIV, viral hepatitis and sexual health medicine. And we'll be touching on quite a bit of this work today. So thanks for coming along today. It's great to chat with you today. Thank you, Shay. And thank you for giving me the opportunity it's nice. fantastic. So look, can you start off by telling us a bit about your early career? What mm-hmm. got you into this profession in the first place?
1: Look, for me, it was a very zigzagged entry into nursing. I went in to do exercise science at the University of Wollongong and I'm grateful now I failed a subject and it was a prerequisite. And it put me back a whole year and with that I started to pick up some population health subjects to stay full time and then it sort of opened this whole area of public health to me. So I kept I finished that and came out with a double degree in exercise science and population health, but I very much felt in my last semester that I wanted to put something clinical with my population health. So I literally went straight back and did nursing straight away um, because I thought if I stop, I won't get back into things. So that was Mm -hmm. kind of my trajectory into nursing. So, yes, it wasn't my first calling, I I say, and I'm quite open and honest about that, but I'm so grateful that's where I've landed.
0: Mine either. I thought I wanted to be a speech path, which (laughs) given my feeling about sputum, it amazes me that I ever thought (laughs) that. But anyway, about me, how many years did you end up doing at uni? by
1: doing all of that so all up I did three years and randomly in my nursing so I got all the advanced standing but as we know the way the nursing kind of curriculum is structured you need certain subjects for certain placements so it didn't actually shorten my time so I did a year of Spanish in the mix of things as well just to keep things interesting as you do
0: well, why not? You know, yeah. I hope that that came in useful for you at some point too.
1: It actually does. I use it a little bit in my clinical now when we have ah. Spanish-speaking clients. So it's not all, all, all wasted.
0: No. Well, look, the fact that you did all of that in three years, I think you really maximised that time, to be honest. So talk to me about once you left uni, where did you go? Where did you start? What did you want to do? Look,
1: that is a story in itself, actually, because halfway through nursing, I had had enough I didn't think nursing was for me I'd had some placements that were less than enjoyable I then associated that that's what nursing was going to be Um, so I actually halfway through my nursing and this will lead to your question as to where I went after I graduated which I did graduate in the end I started applying for jobs thinking I'd use my population health and I would leave nursing and drop out which was a very hard kind of thought process for me because I'm not a quitter per se Mm. and I applied for various jobs one which was actually at the Australasian Society for HIV viral hepatitis and sexual health medicine that you mentioned earlier Mm. it was a full-time role I was very transparent in interviews that I was going to quit nursing I wanted to use my population health they however offered me a part-time role and said look we would really think it would be beneficial for you to finish you're so far through um, we'll have you working on nursing related things here and we'll be really supportive while you finish. And I, for that, I cannot be more grateful because I did. And then I sort of found this world of sexual health, HIV, viral hepatitis. I met this whole cohort of nurses that i had never really thought about with such passion and commitment. And for me, that's kind of got me through my nursing degree, thinking that's where I might head. But like a lot of undergraduate nurses, I thought the be all and end all was to do a new grad program. So that's the pathway I I went and I did get into a new grad, which I'm extremely grateful for. Um, However, you know, after my first rotation here, I was again, realizing that this kind of ward nursing certainly wasn't the best fit for me. Yeah. And I was ready to leave the profession again. And again, that was a very hard thing to contemplate because I thought leaving a new grad would be a black mark against my name and as i might remind all my undergraduate nurses now i say to them has anyone ever said to me why did you leave your new grad has anyone ever realized on my cv and no one has and i'm quite open about it um, as to the reasons why i left and then i saw a full-time rn role at sydney sexual health center which is one of the biggest publicly funded clinics in the state and i thought you know what treat it like my second rotation if I'm to get it. There's a lot of people stay in their second rotation and just be really open-minded. And I got that job and probably within a month or two, I I was home and that's how I felt. Um, So I'm very lucky that I had that feeling very early on. And I remind the undergraduate nurses that I work with now that you're not gonna get that feeling straight away, if at all, but you've gotta be really just nursing such a platform. And I'll speak about that quite a lot today. Um, I can't be more grateful that I stuck it out because I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without my nursing.
0: It's really interesting though isn't it because we do have this really narrow perspective of what graduates should do or should want to do Mm. but actually the breadth of all of the opportunities available to nurses and midwives is so vast and nursing I think is such an incredible platform for so many different areas that you can go into and you just you know I never thought I'd be sitting here like (laughs) I never imagined that as a nurse I'd end up in an industrial kind of role like you just can't even dream of the things that are available to nurses once you kind of get that qualification and get in and get some of that really kind of um I think uh you know, the expertise around the critical thinking and analytical Mm. approach that we take that's relevant in so many different areas. So I couldn't agree more. I think it's a really interesting perspective you put.
1: And it's actually a, a perspective I really enjoy talking to the undergraduate nurses about. You mentioned I'm at the University of Wollongong in the nursing school there, and I'm so passionate working with undergraduate nurses because I see them post their placements. I see that deflated look sometimes. I see that I've had the best placement, most unexpected placement, and I do two subjects with the nursing school, one being primary care. And I, I feel very passionate about that one because that's the area I'm in. And to explain to them that there is a life outside the wards and there's so many different ways you can use your nursing, you can tell it's quite eye-opening because they're like, what do you mean? And what's your scope of practice? And you do your own microscopy and you have nurse initiated. And and then further to that, with the third news, I work on a subject which is around clinical excellence and governance. And it sort of speaks to a role that I had in the ministry. And even then. You can see sort of the light bulbs going off with some of them going actually could policy be a space for me. So I think we've got such a broad skill set that's so applicable and you don't, they don't realize it that, you know, there is more than the wards and that is a great area, Mm. but to be really open-minded, particularly if you're that person on the fence, that's easiest for me. And, you know, I dealt with a few third years just recently going, I'm just going to finish this semester and what it looks like after that. I've got no idea. Mm. So, yeah, I feel very passionate talking to them about that, those perspectives.
0: Well, that's really great advice. So tell us about sexual health. Why sexual health? You obviously found your people when you landed there. Yeah. Uh, what was it about the work or the, the clients or, you know, what, what is it that Look, keeps you kind of getting out of bed in the morning?
1: Yeah, and it does. I, so for me, so when I went into that RN role, I, I actually didn't know how I would go clinically. I'd worked in a project officer role. I'd organized a lot of training, education, I'd met these incredible nurses but and then I also went in there thinking I will find this quite breezy because I've I've got a bit of a background here but and I really I like talking about this and going I actually found that transition very hard. I found the sexual history taking very hard which I was surprised because I'm a talker like surprise surprise and um I think when I there was a couple of reasons that I initially I was so well supported when I started and I, that's another area that I, I talk to the undergraduates about I say remember this feeling you had when you felt like a duck out of water when you sat in the handover room and they said we've got students who wants the student today and you see the heads bow like you n- remember those things because it will make or break a student or a new nurse um, and their placement so yeah I felt really welcomed we're very well supported um, the training that kind of goes with when you start was astounding and the support the other element in sexual health is the scope of practice we have um, is huge and you're very very autonomous you run your own nurse-led clinics you're doing your microscopy depending on the clinic you work at though and saying that and the, the um, capability they have but we have nurse initiated standing orders so I can see a patient from symptomatic patient depending on their symptoms from start to finish and you know send them away with their medication do all their follow up so it's a quite an autonomous feeling um, the multidisciplinary environment that we work in you don't get that sense of hierarchy which I think is really nice. lovely like the yeah. nurses need us just as much as we need them just as much as we need the counseling unit so we're all it's a very cohesive environment mm-hmm. um, and yet yeah, probably the most important thing is the clientele it's Unfortunately, you know, even in a country like Australia, there's still a lot of stigma and discrimination attached to this line of work, even when I speak to people within the healthcare profession and they go well why don't people just wear condoms and I have a very standard response now and I say well why doesn't your diabetic patient just follow their fluid restriction. Um, we deal with humans, we deal with people and, you know, and we wouldn't be within jobs in healthcare if everyone followed everything by the book. Yeah. So it's probably my clients that is the thing that gets me out of bed every day. Um, and yeah, just the environment that we work in. It's mm-hmm. a really, yeah, a really supportive and it's, and it's always changing as well. You know, I've particularly HIV, which is an area I've specialized in. There's not a lot of other health conditions that you can say from 40 years ago, went from defined by death and now it's a chronic condition you can live the same average lifespan as someone without HIV so that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say so there's I could you know we could do a whole separate podcast on that Shay as to why sexual health and why I see my itself here for a long time um but yeah I certainly feel very passionate about it
0: mm. And, you know, I think you're possibly the second or maybe third person I've interviewed who comes from a sexual health background. Um, And, you know... I, I feel like you guys are a particular breed of people because your passion just oozes out, which is so lovely because I agree, you could just chat all day and the advances have been so remarkable. Um, and I, I can only imagine like witnessing that evolution of healthcare mm. for that um, portion of your clients must be pretty fulfilling, you know, like um, yeah. when you go to work and see people who are having a particular experience that you can't have the intervention you want is is challenging, mm. but you've got the almost the opposite story to tell so it's pretty nice I guess the other element is too it's nice to
1: work in a place where harm minimization that's often our approach it's not that black and white just wear a condom it's or just stop injecting it's that it's like what's going to work for you what how are we going to help you function every day in the safest way possible how are we going to protect your partners and I think it's very refreshing for you know consumers to come into a environment like that as well we're not there to slap your wrist and go you haven't stopped injecting it's about going okay well this is where you're going to get your clean needles from this is what we talk about when we mean sharing and what that means from anything from your tourniquet to your spoon to your needle Um, so it's really nice to support people in their life decisions and you know and sometimes they get there on their own anyways and they'll be like right I'm ready to start reducing my use or start using condoms more as opposed to my pre-exposure prophylaxis or prep. Um, So it's a really lovely journey to be on with clients, to be honest.
0: Yeah, nice. So tell me about, um, you've obviously worked at the ministry for a little while as well. What took Mm -hmm. you there and what sort of work were you doing when you were there?
1: Yeah, it kind of actually tracks back to a comment you just made, Shay, around being a part of history in different ways and different evolutions. So when I went in as an registered nurse in sexual health, and then after that, after about 18 months, I actually became the clinical nurse educator at the service, and then I was in that role for about two years. And then with that, and as we you know, know, with nursing and different things you can be doing to build up to CNC status, clinical nurse consultant, and that's kind of where I had my eyes at that point in time. And then a statewide role came up as the clinical nurse consultant for HIV within the ministry, a very big role. I felt very green. It was a new role, so I really had to prove myself in the role. Um, and that role was working within the New South Wales HIV strategy and it was the purpose of it was really to, I guess, work out the disconnect between policy and the coalface. And it was really nice going into that role as a clinician, because sometimes, you know, policy advisors and things, when you're talking to the coalface, they kind of don't connect with you because it's that you don't understand our reality. Yeah. Whereas I was going in and working out why HIV testing wasn't happening when it was indicated. So I worked in a few different specialties, which were very much outside my realm of sexual health. So antenatal emergency mental health drug and alcohol but a big part of that role was rolling out um, pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV as part of the EPIC study which was the New South Wales demonstration project around PrEP Mm -hmm. and my role in that was um, getting GPs on as study sites because they did have the research institution doing a bit of that but actually being clinical understanding the gp environment and the model of care that they work in and is business and it is private business and explaining to them actually this is going to be your normal possibly moving forward if this gets listed on the pbs and we're anticipating it will get listed as an s85 meaning anyone will prescribe so it was a lot of succession planning around what that might look like it was also a lot of training and education and working with people that had a lot of opinions and views about PrEP and that yes mm. why can't they just wear condoms and um, a lot of I guess their own morals and beliefs coming into conversations which are really hard um, to navigate but at the same time I was talking about in a harm minimization approach so mm. that's how we tackled it with um, and you know there was sim- similar dialogue happened when the HPV vaccine came out that it would increase promiscuity within young people so yeah I say that very calmly, but you can imagine my, how my insides are turning. And um, my,
0: for the listeners, my face is like contorting a bit. It's yeah, just-
1: <laughs> Shay had the exact facial respect uh, responses, I'd hope. Um, yeah, so my role within uh, the ministry was very much a policy and governance and yeah, around the rollout of PrEP, but also to work out when HIV testing was indicated and why it wasn't happening. So disconnecting the policy, so getting an understanding of the patient journey and how it might be missed and the points in time that it might be missed and whether it's a policy element that is what's needed or is it actually a systematic change that's needed or is it actually a simple IT solution that they need that tick box as mandatory and will capture that data. So I explained that to my new grads. I said that role I got to be a detective basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to know about those clinical areas or expertise, have expertise in them. It was actually quite helpful not because Mm -hmm. I could see things differently. And we talk about the why in nursing and why Mm -hmm. it's so important. So that was sort of my ministry role, um, which I got so much experience from.
2: Are you a leader in your workplace? Passionate about social justice issues? Apply for the Ros Norman Scholarship. The scholarship covers up to $5,000 for promoting activism, developing campaign skills and public advocacy. Whether you're passionate about climate justice, women's rights, LGBTQIA rights or trade unionism, the Ros Norman Scholarship will help develop your advocacy and leadership skills. Apply now at nma.asn.au forward slash Ros Norman Scholarship. Applications close 30th of September. Check website for terms and conditions. It must
0: be really um, rewarding for you as well, you know, coming in with this perspective and passion around sexual health and being able to kind of leverage all of that knowledge um, at scale, you know, to really impact more patients and the experience that they have um, on, you know, some of those sort of rollouts and, you know, new areas of innovation.
1: Yeah, it definitely was, Shay. And it was also just really eye-opening for me to get the perspective on the ground from those that don't work in my specialty or space all the time and and see them, I dare I say it, misconceptions, the myths that still exist and how we need to kind of navigate that as well. And because, you know, there is a real focus on alternative settings in the New South Wales um, strategies because, you know, not everyone's going to identify themselves as high risk to walk into one of our publicly funded sexual health clinics. So these settings actually have a huge role to play in the ongoing kind of picking up undetected infections Mm. and also keeping people engaged in care. Because when a new diagnosis is made, you know, particularly around HIV, that diagnosis time is quite pivotal in terms of someone's experience of how they were diagnosed, the, the care and treatment they received at that point, and how they then might engage in care ongoing. So, yeah, it was a really rewarding role um, because, mm. like you say, it's that larger accessing people en masse, influencing policy, having kind of really eye-opening experiences and working at people in the ministry at a higher level and understanding the political political things at play and how agendas can change things, all those kinds of things, yeah, I, I learned a, a huge amount.
0: Mm. Oh it sounds really fascinating and so you've been doing a whole lot of international work talk to me about what that's been like and you know it sounds as though uh, the work you've spoken about already with the ministry and locally has positioned you in a way that you really do have this kind of much larger perspective about the role that you can play Um, so I'd love to hear more about how you've used all of that in um, the work you're doing internationally.
1: Yeah, look, if, if someone had asked me when I was studying nursing, if I could see myself working internationally using my nursing, I probably would have been like, I, I highly doubt it. I'm not quite sure how that would look. Um, for me, how I sort of gravitated in that space, as I mentioned, I work at ASHAM, the Australasian Society for HIV Medicine. They have both domestic and global vision, uh, divisions. So I'd, I'd seen at arm's length what the global team kind of did. And then another one of my hats is based at the Kirby Institute, which is at the University of New South Wales. And the Kirby Institute is a research institute all around infectious diseases. And it's there I started to get more and more an understanding of, I guess, the region, particularly the Asia-Pacific region, our closest neighbours. And with that have slowly gravitated because, I mean, tracking back, I did a master's when I was working as a CNC as a requirement, and I was going to do one anyways. And I did a master's in adult education, majoring in workplace and organizational learning, because my nursing career was very quickly going down that path. Mm. And with that, just as I started to get sort of more experience within the region and getting a better understanding around, I guess, the issues and then people seeing my sort of clinical skills with my education, I started to get more opportunities in that space. So. Uh, a few things, as an example, I've with Asham Global, I've been up to PNG um, to work on, a. Bit. they've been in country in PNG for quite some time, um, doing various pieces of work, but what I've been involved in is their clinical mentoring program, where it's a sustainable model in terms of we can't get to all the provinces, so we bring in the key clinicians from the province they get trained in the key clinical updates and then I'm more there around because as we know as nurses or anyone you can be a great clinician but it doesn't necessarily make you a great educator Mm. we're not taught those skills um, nor are we often expected to have skills in that area but innately we fall into those roles so I sort of go up and I use more of my adult education but obviously my nursing hat's always on and do all the kind of adult education principles so you know, training an adult, the kind of things that they bring to the table, those one one of communication skills. So that's obviously given me a huge insight to, you know, Papua New Guinea and the, the issues they have, which are completely different to our, I mean, it makes me very grateful to mm-hmm. clinically work in a place like Australia. Where we're so resource rich um and we're you know in that line but when i'm in png the kind of things that they have to navigate on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and how they do it it's just admirable purely admirable so i learn more from them than i can probably teach them if i'm honest how Um, often
0: are you going up there and
1: you know um so i was meant to go up pre-covid and then Mm -hmm. we did that workshop remotely which was one of the most challenging things i've possibly ever done i had not been to png at that point um obviously there's cultural things. I was in Australia, they were in a room, technology really wasn't sort of set up for zoom at that point. They were all in masks. Um, it was one of my hardest teaching days of my life mm. yet rewarding. And then I went up last year and that was similar group of people, but I actually got to meet them face to face. So they'd met me online two years prior and then I'll be going um, actually, you know, two weeks time pending visas. Um, and this one's around a train the trainer kind of model where you um, we're trying to assist them in embedding regular training within their services. So like an in-service, like we would normally do. So giving them the resources and skills to run in services and what that looks like and how to do monitoring and evaluation and sort of get drawing the dots for them to align it with their strategies and their doc, those kinds of things. So when they're reporting back and, Putting up a business case for possibly whether it be more staff or more funding, helping them sort of navigate all of that. So, mm-hmm. and so, so not
0: unique one. to sexual health. This is, you know, your kind of just adult education principles that they're applying to whatever clinical. Yes. They're in.
1: Yeah. So that's a good question, Shay. With this program, they are people, the clinicians are all sexual health and HIV, but okay. that's not really what I'm there for. I'm more mm-hmm. around the adult education side of things. And again, this is what I tell my undergraduate nurses I say, I'm kind of there because I have a clinical hat and I can understand what they're talking about clinically and then I can apply it and make it relevant to them when i'm talking Mm. around the adult education stuff so it was more that that skill set that kind of led me into that then you marry my clinical hat and it's you know a double threat in a way Mm. so it's another way to use your clinical but in a teaching environment and Mm. similar work i went to Vanuatu, and that was around sexual health mpox and then another doctor went up with me and we were doing stuff around hepatitis b so i my skill set now, and this is again what I say to the nurses that I'm working with, it's, it's quite generic in a way. The adult education stuff could be applied to anything more broadly. Obviously, if I get to apply it in the context, the clinical context I know and love, what a bonus, yeah. um, but I, I can use it across the board.
0: Mm, how fascinating that sounds really interesting and so are you seeing similar types of trends um, you know obviously their healthcare system is fairly different to ours um, across the pacific we see that sort of everywhere <clears throat> but people are people in lots of places and sometimes the issues you see or the challenges you see are really connected with human behavior i'd be curious mm. to understand you know is that what you see or do you see something really different
1: Look, there's elements that are definitely the same. Um, I mean, we don't deal with kind of the resource shortages that they deal with, whether it be EDTA blood tubes, stockouts of medicines. Um, They don't do (laughs) tests. Even
0: their kind of infrastructure and things, you know, make it so much more challenging. Challenging.
1: Yeah, let alone like they have a lot of stockouts of medicines. They do a lot of syndromic um, treatment because they don't have the testing capability. So Mm -hmm. you never have in a lot of the places a real sense of the scale of the problem. So you have Mm -hmm. to sort of talk broadly as in terms of what are people presenting with you then marry the stigma and the discrimination and the taboo of the subjects that we're dealing with um, adds a whole nother layer because it, it prevents people from presenting to services. They're also fearful, I guess, how they might respond in those services. And in terms of the health issues that affect kind of the countries that we deal with, they're all, it's all quite individualized, but it all is a reflection more broadly of access and, you know, political agendas and different things like that. So uh, as an example, in Papua New Guinea, HIV is a huge problem and increasing rates um, as well as syphilis. Then, you know, if you go to Vanuatu, their HIV rates are actually very low, but then you sort of query, are they low? Like, is there just not enough testing going on? Um, Their hepatitis B, there's around 10% of the population that have hepatitis B Mm. and the majority of it is mother to child. And it's completely preventable.
0: Mm. So,
1: yeah, there's actually a a larger piece of work. Um, WHO is um, working across this. It's called triple elimination, where there's a focus on HIV, syphilis and hepatitis B um, elimination in mother to child. So there's, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders, a lot of kind of huge players involved. But there's also a lot of system kind of issues that these countries face. And it even can be things like the procurement processes I really got to handle. And if you had to ask me as a nurse whether I'd ever, you know, have an interest or an understanding of procurement, no. But it's actually, you can see how it's such a stopgap in, you know, the success of some things. Yeah. So. There's lots of things where, you know, it is same, same. It's just on larger scale, if mm. anything. Mm. But if anything, when I come back and work in clinic in Australia, I can float above a lot of things now because I'm like, we have power today, we have water, yeah. we have EDTA tubes, it's a good day. Yeah. Um. So it does really help me clinically as well just to really enjoy what I do and feel so grateful.
0: Mm, interesting. Different way to have a, you know, different perspective, isn't it? So talk to me about how all of these pieces um, bring you all the way back here to uh, the University of Wollongong. We've just discovered that we're neighbours. We live very close <laughs> together in Illawarra here on Darawal Country. Um, and, yeah, you're teaching at the local uni. I'd love to hear about that.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm very proud to be living and working back on Darawal Country. Um, I had moved from a smaller country town to do my uni time, which was here in Wollongong. And I actually didn't really see myself leaving the area because I really loved it when I moved here and then fell into nursing and stayed here much longer. Um, so yes, have moved away and now I'm back in what I call home. And yeah, it was an obvious kind of whether to just reach out and see because I'm realizing more and more teaching and public speaking is really my love and spreading my passion and particularly you know the passion for how valuable nurses are and how valuable you are as an undergraduate nurse as a new graduate nurse and your role you play in our future is one of the areas in particular so it just seemed like a natural fit to possibly see what opportunities sat within the university um, and uh, yeah so I'm, I'm really grateful to one of the lecturers there Kat Stevens she had a meeting with me and had a really good chat and she identified that I'd probably fit well with the clinical governance subject and the primary healthcare subject and she couldn't have better placed me to be honest. Um, they're two key areas of my passion areas and I'm thoroughly enjoying being back around the undergraduates because I say to them I may have been a nurse for 13 years guys but it feels like yesterday I know the feeling of being on placement, I know the feeling of how uncertain that is, I know the feeling of a, a crappy placement, I know the feeling of one that you've come out of going I didn't expect that but mm. and just the value of because one thing I always ask them after their placements tell me what it was you liked and then tell me what, it, what one thing that you didn't enjoy and the one thing that it always draws out for the groups is it's the culture on the ward they were like I went into palliative care I had no expectation I loved it and I'm like what is it that you loved and then they'll say the people I was made to feel welcome I you know they went out of their way to show me things and I think it just really shows the value as Any setting, any ward, any workplace can be phenomenal and attract really amazing nurses, but you've really got to create that. So I do really remind them of that as well. I'm like, you may be a new graduate next year, but you're going to be put with student nurses. You create that, you set that precedent, you set that tone Mm. um, with that. So yeah, I'm so grateful to be back at the uni because it's been obviously pivotal in my career. That's where I got my qualifications from. So to be influencing, hopefully, um, our next generation of nurses, it's an honor and a privilege.
0: Well, that's lovely to hear. And I think um, you know really good tips for people to be considering when they're graduates now but as they Mm. grow into become much more experienced nurses and midwives going forward as well Um, because we know the kind of projected shortages in our workforces our professions um, are massive and we're going to be Mm. really relying on uh, new graduates coming through um, for many years so building kind of environments where they love the work and they want to stay I think is on all of us and um, Mm. it's really great that that sort of the way that you're framing it to even people who are going out um, as new grads now. So yeah. I hope they pick up on that. You know, we need every so last, every last person. We can't have anyone um, leaving. Really. We want them all to know there's a spot for them somewhere. And if we can all help them to do that, then I think that's ideal.
1: And I think it's a good point that you just said to Shay about a spot there for all of them. And one of the things I have drilled into the third years is going, let's talk about your plan. A your plan B and plan C, because, you know, people find it quite odd that, you know, there isn't necessarily enough new graduate positions for new graduate nurses. So I talked to them about their utopia, which is getting the hospital they want, getting the rotations they want. And I said, it's very much a utopia. Let's talk about plan B, which might be getting your rotations, but not your hospital. Let's talk about your plan C, which is not your hospital, not your rotations. And what's your plan D? And, you know, talking about you can go into an RN role, straight out and you'll very be that proactive person reach out to the nurse unit manager reach out to the clinical nurse educator find go and meet them because I said in our service we have hired new grads straight out because they have been very proactive look at the like the free education I talk to them about working in general practice it's another great area but you know they go oh we're not part of a new graduate program as such I said but you are an adult make your own new graduate. Program connect with the primary health network. They run a huge amount of education for Mm -hmm. nurses. Mm -hmm. You bespoke your own, you've actually got it. Because I said, go into a very open mind what a new graduate program might look like. It might actually be you doing four, like quarterly in-services and that's your new grad. So reach out to the hospital you wanna go to, ask them, do they have a new graduate program manager? what does your new graduate program look like? Like all that kind of stuff to go, it's okay if you don't. And I'm like, and I'm a walking, living, breathing example of someone who left a new graduate program Mm -hmm. and here I am. Um, So, yeah, just giving them those sort of tips and tricks because it's very much a time of their life. It feels like you're back to like your ATAR, your UAI. like, And no one, you know, has asked me about that since either and it was the be all and end all. So I sort of relate
0: it to that and they're like, oh, okay. It's so funny you said that, because in my mind, I was thinking exactly of that example, you know, we put so much emphasis on Mm. moment, and that moment is important for the people who are living it at that point in time. But beyond that, it doesn't really have any direct relevance to much else that you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I do really like, I guess, bringing that home as well. To go, it will be okay regardless where you land, Mm -hmm. and also reminding them as well. If you lose your passion and your drive in an area, don't turn into that nurse, Mm -hmm. that negative nurse. We don't like working with that nurse. So find your new passion. So it's either time to find a different area, a different, but whatever that might be. But don't be that nurse that stays and then. you will have that influence on your student nurses and your new graduate nurses and possibly turn them away from the profession.
0: Mm. So many like useful uh, tips there. I think we could chat all day to be honest. (laughs) But we're neighbours so I'll see you for a coffee anyway. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, Really fascinating to chat with you. Um, I feel like we've kind of touched on lots of different areas um, and probably haven't Fully done justice to all of them, but um, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really interesting getting to know you and to hear about your experiences. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think we need to double back on and cover off?
1: No, nothing at all. I think I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to talk about a specialty that I feel so passionate about to I guess, demonstrate the different areas you can use your nursing. It is such a platform. Um, I use it in so many different ways and all of my roles and my hats wouldn't be possible without my nursing. So that's one thing I always like to reinforce and just remind our undergraduate nurses, our new graduate nurses that you are our future. So create what you want really. And yeah, and thank you to the, the union for everything you guys do for us on a daily basis.
0: And to you, you guys are the union, right? I'm just here to facilitate. That's my job.
2: Well, thank you. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Applications are now open for the Edith Cavill Scholarship. The Edith Cavill Scholarship provides funding for nurses and midwives and students to undertake accredited nursing or midwifery studies. Applications close 31st of July. Please see website for terms and conditions.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sheree and I look forward to sharing more stories with you from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you enjoyed today's chat, please make sure you subscribe to this program wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a review. It helps others to find the podcast. If you have a story to share with us, let us know by emailing us at theshiftpodcast at nswnma.asn.au. Bye for now.